0: Hi, this is Woody Huffines, and this is The Owner's Voyage. It's a journey to business ownership. We'll talk about my journey and the things that I've learned and the things that I didn't learn as quickly as I might, and maybe even talk about your journey, the journey from going from an employee to an employer, whether you're self-employed or you've got a business where you're employing other people. It's a great trip, and I hope you join us. Welcome to The Owner's Voyage, Episode 1. Now, I didn't just wake up at 59 years old and I was a business owner. There was a backstory that kind of involved getting there, and that's what this podcast will be about today, is how did we go from where we were to where we are, more importantly, where I was, to where I am. I was born in Oklahoma City. Of course, I got to Texas as soon as I could. See, in my mind, there's two places in the world. There's Texas and there's not Texas, and the not Texas parts are just not as good to me as the Texas part. But anyway, after I graduated from high school, I did pretty well on standardized tests, and I got to school. And I didn't take college as seriously as I might. Uh, In fact, I ended up going to college for four terms, both of Reagan's, Carter's, and Bush's. So it took me a while to get out. I didn't have that completion thing going on. And in that interim, while I was going to school, first one school and another, I ended up going to several schools before it was over. Graduated from the University of South Carolina at Aiken with a degree in accounting. So there you go. It was a long trip. But I got there. Uh, in, in the interim times, we had businesses. I had a wallpaper and interior design store. I had a dry cleaners. Um and got to a point where I had children and was married. And the uncertainty of small business ownership was a little unsettling. So I went and got a degree in accounting because the accountant that I had, when I closed down the dry cleaners, I was shutting some things down, and I was talking to my accountant. His name was Alan Labrie in Abbeville, Louisiana. And Alan asked what I was going to do next, and I told Alan I was probably going to go back to college. And he said, well, what are you going to major in? And I said, well, I'll probably major in engineering. I've got a couple of years of engineering, and I'll just go finish up a degree in engineering. He said, well, you could do that. But, you, you know, in the World Series, there's a winner's check and a loser's check. And I said, yeah, Alan, I know that. And he said, they always pay the umpires the same. I'd think about getting a degree in accounting. Well, that sounded pretty bright to me, so that's what I did. I went and got a degree in accounting, started at the University of uh, Southwestern Louisiana, Raging Cajuns, and then finished up at the University of South Carolina at Aiken. My wife at the time got a job at Savannah Riverside, and we went to Aiken, South Carolina, and I got a degree in accounting. I was the outstanding accounting graduate. At 32 years old, I was the outstanding accounting graduate, and I was so proud and My ex-wife told me that that was kind of like being the best ballerina in Barnwell, which was a great line, but it wasn't as funny then as it is now. Anyway, I got a degree in accounting, and I went to work at the Savannah River site building nuclear weapons. So effectively what I did is I traded uncertainty for unhappiness. The uncertainty of small business just didn't fit the things that I needed to do to support my family. So I went from the uncertainty of small business to what was pretty much the unhappiness of Fortune 500 uh, accounting. Now, it would be unfair for me to say that I didn't have a good time, and it would be unfair for me to say that I didn't learn a lot, and it would certainly be unfair for me to say that I didn't have some great bosses and great opportunities and learned a bunch of great things. I was working for Westinghouse Savannah River, and that became Washington Savannah River when we got acquired. At one point, I was the manager of government compliance for the business unit, which was a $4 billion business unit, and I did all the government compliance and all the government contracts. Uh, Subsequently, went and got a degree in management information systems. So my undergrad is accounting. My graduate degree is management information systems, and I ended up being either an accounting guy or an IT guy. I'd go from one side to the other and one side to the other, and spent 25 years in that business. The last piece of it was uh, with Westinghouse Electric. And so I started out with Westinghouse in, in 1992 and ended up and left Westinghouse in, in 2018. In between, I worked for a bunch of different companies because we got acquired a number of times. But started for Westinghouse, ended for Westinghouse the um, the best part about that was that in the nuclear complex I had a great opportunity to travel and go do a lot of things and learn a bunch of really neat stuff some of it I can't talk about still but I learned a bunch of really neat stuff and and, and it was a it was a great experience and and I went to the Shaw group and I was the the controller for a construction project in uh, Waynesboro South Carolina or Waynesboro, Georgia I'm sorry it was a nuclear uh, nuclear build. We were building two nuclear units down there, and that was a uh, when I left. It was about a six billion dollar job. Uh, went to work to do a uh, another nuclear construction project in South Texas, and that was an eleven billion dollar job. And I was the controller for those. And um, uh, the one in South Texas got canceled, so I ended up doing a bunch of really interesting stuff with outside counsel on some lawsuits and rearranging some computer systems. And then it turned out that Westinghouse wanted a government accounting unit. They wanted a government services unit. So since I was about the only person left in Westinghouse that had any government accounting knowledge, I became the controller for the government services business unit for Westinghouse. And Westinghouse was owned at the time by a a venture capital company and the venture capital company wanted a return on their investment and in the government business the return that they wanted really wasn't going to happen and it it became pretty apparent that we weren't going to be able to be successful in the government business because we couldn't get the return that we needed to get because the government business is a relatively low margin business and really really weren't making a lot of progress and here I am I'm 58 years old. The business unit's not doing that well. I've got a bunch of concerns about what's going on, and they came out with a voluntary separation package where they were going to pay people to leave. And because I was in the position I was in, I, I knew who was signing up and who wasn't, and the, and the division president signed up for the voluntary separation, which in the, in the police business we would call a clue. So I decided to bail, and I was going to go out and get another corporate job. Well, not a lot of people want to hire somebody that's 58 years old, or at least they don't think they do. Uh, They think they want a CFO for 10 years, and a CFO's not going to last 10 years. And after, uh, I don't know, several months of, of looking at alternatives for what it is I was going to do next and having a bunch of people tell me that they couldn't pay me what Westinghouse had paid me, which I understood they weren't. Fortune 500 companies, there were some small manufacturing firms in the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex places that I wanted to do because, and here's the second part, in uh, 2010, after my first marriage didn't do well, I had married what is the love of my life, and and it's just been a joy in the last 10 years to be around her, and and my family loves her, and she loves my family, and, and it's a really wonderful thing. But working for Westinghouse, I'd get on an airplane on Sunday night and I'd get back on an airplane on Friday. So I was married and living in Dallas and I spent about 36 hours a week at home and And I wasn't really willing to continue to do that. Um, I, I was making good money, but... With Westinghouse, you know, the the business unit that I was in, we were struggling because of the government business. And it wasn't a whole lot of fun for me to only be home 36 hours a week with somebody that I really love and I wanted to spend time with. So I didn't want to go get a job with another national or international construction company and be gone a lot. So I was looking for something in town so I didn't have to travel. And, And then a wonderful thing happened. I was talking to my youngest son. And he asked me if I had ever heard of the Japanese concept of ikigai. It's I-K-I-G-A-I. Go look it up. I'll wait. Wikipedia has got a good article on it. Okay, I won't wait. The concept of ikigai is that there are four pillars in your life. There are four areas in your life and that you need to answer all of those pillars. And the Prefecture of Okinawa is where ikigai kind of got started. And there's a bunch of really good books on the concept. And they have a lot of people who are centenarians or people who live to be 100 years old. And the reason that they say that they live to be 100 years old is because they have a reason for being or a reason for getting up in the morning. And in its simplest form, that means that there are four pillars in your life that you need to answer for happiness. There's what you love to do. There's what you do well. There's what you can make a living doing or get paid for doing, and there's what has meaning or makes a difference or what the world needs. And he introduced me to this concept while I was in my job search, and I really did some soul searching while I was doing the job search to say, you know, really, what is it that I want to do that would answer those four pillars? Because at, at the end of the day, as a corporate controller for Westinghouse or a director of IT or uh, implementing uh, large-scale enterprise resource planning systems or, or uh, government resource accounting systems, they, they paid me really well to do that. And I was very good at it. So although I was well paid and I was good at it, I didn't particularly like it a lot of the time. And it really didn't make a difference. I suppose you could abstract it and say that because we were doing the accounting internal controls the right way, that the stockholders could depend on the stock being the right number, or some abstraction. But in terms of making a difference day in and day out, while I could reach out and touch and help some of my employees, what I was doing overall really didn't make a difference. So with the concept of eeky guy in front of me, I sat down and tried to figure out what is it that I want to do next. I don't want to travel. I don't want to be away from my wife. I really don't want to be a part of another bureaucracy. I don't want to do something I don't want to do or that I don't enjoy. I do want to do something that I'm good at. Hopefully I can do something that I can make a living doing. So what am I going to do? So I spent some time looking around at, in my case, some franchises and decided that I was going to get a franchise that answered those four pillars of Ikigai for me and ended up doing one in computer services, which really makes a difference. It makes a difference in the homes and the small businesses that we get to help because we get to reach out and touch people and help people accomplish the things that they want to accomplish with their technology. And because of my background in IT, I'm pretty good at it, and I really love the technical stuff. Uh, we don't necessarily know about how well I'm going to make a living doing it because we've only been in it a little less than a year, but the point is I've now found something that answers that that guy concept, that there's four pillars, and I've got a little piece of each one of those, and I'm having more fun when I get up in the morning than I've had in 25 years. and And that's been... I guess the epiphany that I had that there was a lot more to making a living or a lot more to, I'm sorry, there was a lot more to making a life than there is making a living because now I sleep with my wife every night and I don't get on airplanes and I don't travel and I've got the ability to reach out and help people. And I've got employees that I can touch and that I can train and I can do things with as a result, I'm having a lot more fun than I've had in a very long time. Now, That doesn't mean that it's easy, and it certainly means that there aren't struggles, and it doesn't mean that there weren't things that I had to learn about how to start a small business in the current business environment, don't even get me started on COVID-19, that I had to learn about how to do business now that was different than the way that I did business in 1980 with the dry cleaners, because the business environment has changed. And while I have a great deal of experience and a great deal of knowledge in accounting and in IT, there are a lot more skills in running a small business and being involved in a small business now than when I did it. So effectively what I did 25, 30 years ago is I traded uncertainty for unhappiness and now I've traded unhappiness for uncertainty. And and one of the things that I'm very excited about having done that is that now I'm able to mentor some of the other small business owners and help them with some things that I've learned And bring to bear the experiences that I had that meld the things that I did in large-scale construction projects with small business and large-scale IT projects with small business and large-scale organizational issues with a franchise. And it is an absolute transformation for me because I get to do something now that is so much fun. Every day I get up in the morning and most of the time I'm awake by 4 30 because I'm just excited to start another day. Now let's talk about the reason for the podcast. With the franchise that I'm involved in, one of the lists that I'm on for that franchise is people who are thinking about buying a new franchise. I am one of the franchisees that they call and, and I get to counsel them or get to talk to them and, and give them some concepts about what they need to think about as they go forward in that business. And I enjoy that so much that, well, why not do a podcast? I've got a YouTube channel. Let's just do a podcast too. So I started thinking about something else that I can do that makes a difference. And that's what this podcast is about. This podcast is about me reflecting on the last year, year and a half, going from somebody who was a Fortune 500 guy, to somebody who's a franchisee and a small business guy and the things that I've learned in that transition and the things that I value in that transition and the skills that I could take from the Fortune 500 world and put them in the small business world and the things that are interpersonally different and the things that well there's just a bunch of differences and there are a lot of things to think about and there's a lot of things to do and it's a lot of fun to conceptualize them and talk about them. And a great deal of fun to teach them. And I hope that's what we can do on this podcast is use what was my epiphany about how you find a way to make a life instead of just making a living. And the things that I've done for big companies and the things that I'm doing now for a small company and in a small community with a small organization that are so much fun that I just can't stand not sharing them. And I sure hope you join us. So this has been episode one. For the Owner's Voyage, a journey from, May in my case, Fortune 500 to Fortune, well, we're not even listed. I hope you join us for these because I sure have a lot of fun talking about it. It's Woody Huffines with the Owner's Voyage.